0: Well, last week we began to uh, kind of wind down our sermon series on spiritual warfare and the lies we believe by starting to take a look at some of the ways in which um, we can go on the offensive against the enemy and uh, his attacks uh, in this battle for our hearts and minds. And knowing that we're in a battle, how should that truth shape our perspective on our life, our circumstances, our relationships? <laughs> Where should our energy be spent in light of that truth and that reality? Because our heart is under constant assault. And last week we talked about how Jesus warned us that in this world there would be trouble. That Peter warned us you know, not to be surprised when we see the enemy attacking us in various ways. So we took a look at this command in Proverbs 4.23, really a warning that said, Above all else, guard your heart. it is the wellspring of life. And we talked about the just critical importance of us understanding um, the treasure that God says that our heart is. And it's a treasure to him, and we know that it's a treasure to him because he went so far to redeem it, sending his one and only son to come and to die and to to raise to life so that we might have forgiveness and, and rescue from darkness. And we wrapped up our discussion last week by talking about how important it is for us to value this treasure, for us to value our hearts. Because if we don't, then we won't have the urgency to fight the enemy's attacks. We won't see it um, as as urgent as it is. And what I hope we've begun to grasp as we've been talking about now for week 10 is that we're at war, right, right? If you don't get anything else from this whole thing, get that. It's on the screen every week, okay? And if we are soldiers operating on behalf of the living God, then other people in our life ought to see how serious we're taking that. They ought to see it in the way that we act, the way that we interact. They ought to see it in the language that we use, that, that we have this understanding that because we're in a battle, Words like attack, defend, armor, assault. Those kinds of words that that bring up battle imagery, they ought to be a part of our personal and communal language. People ought to know by being around us that that we understand the true reality. And I'm not sure that's the case very often in the Christian community that I've observed um, over the past 30 years, Think about how odd it would be for the soldiers on D-Day as they're riding in and these uh, you know, amphibious craft uh, coming onto the beach at Normandy and bullets and bombs are whizzing by them and exploding around them and people are being wounded and, and, and killed. How weird would it be for the soldiers to be sitting around in the midst of this having conversations about what worship style they prefer? Or when they're going to have the next potluck dinner after church. I mean, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Because their lives are at stake, right? These are not the things they need to be discussing. They need to be talking about the battle plan and focus on their objective ahead, right? I just want to encourage you to continue growing in, in having this shared language, this shared perspective of war with the people that you call your community, the people that you do life with, um, just to give proper attention to the spiritual reality that's playing out around you, okay? And having been a Christian for 30 years now, I feel like the church has failed pretty miserably at equipping the saints for battle, and sometimes even just here at Wellspring, too. I think that we grossly underestimate the enemy and his ability, the things that he can do to mess with us. And I think the result is a weakened church. A weakened church sitting in the trenches, dying of disease instead of, of the bullets that are fired at us. And if you read much, I'm a historian, I taught history, and I read books about the Civil War and World War I, and those were trench warf- wars and more soldiers died in the trenches than took bullets and died because when armies get stagnant and in those about wars in particular they would sometimes armies would sit there for months and when you're just sitting around you start to pass diseases back and forth it's, the conditions are not very sanitary and people start to die for silly reasons And troops spring back to life and health when they're on the move. Armies aren't meant to sit around. But instead of dying of smallpox or dysentery or scarlet fever, the church is dying from self-centeredness and from distraction and pride and legalism. You name it. Because we're not engaged in the battle. We're sitting in the trenches Pointing fingers at one another and talking about things that don't really matter in the big scheme of things. They want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, page 1069. <clears throat> We've looked at this as we started the series, this is definitely the the go-to passage for for Christians talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to pick it up and read, starting in verse 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So most of us have heard that armor of God passage, but I would venture to guess that not many of us really know what to do with it. I mean, I think it's accurate, the imagery, it's appropriate for having this battle mindset but I think it gets tossed around in ways that leave us kind of scratching our heads and wondering what to do with all of it. It probably gets used more often in kind of goofy ways, um, like what happened to, to Donald Miller, maybe an author that you've heard of. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz they made into a movie, and this is where this gets played out in his story. Seniors, be thankful when we brought you up here a few weeks ago. We didn't dress you up in your armor. You can turn those lights back on for me. There we are. Good. You probably noticed as we read through that passage that many of the pieces of armor that were talked about were kind of defensive and protective in nature. We had the, the breastplate, the helmet, the shield. And the only offensive thing in that was the sword of the Spirit. It says the word of God, which we can kind of do damage to the enemy. And we see that imagery played out in the life of Christ when he is sent off into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Satan comes at him with lie after lie after lie, and Jesus answers back with the scripture, with the word of God, and he just hits him back with the truth. And the enemy doesn't really even try to argue with him about it because he knows it's true too. So I want to ask you a question. How do we view spending time in God's Word? When you sit down with your coffee in the morning and uh, go out on your back deck or wherever it is that you kind of get away to have that quiet space with God and open up your Bibles, do you primarily see the Bible as this kind of book of lessons to teach you good moral principles about how to be a good person and live a life that's pleasing to God? Is that generally kind of your mindset as you go about it? Or do we know it as a vital weapon of war against our enemy? Knowing you're in a battle changes the perspective of what you're doing in that moment, doesn't it? Or at least it should. <laughs> We have to know God's word like our life depended on it. We have to know God's word because we have to be able to uh, differentiate the truth from a lie and, and counterfeit from the real thing. Now, I, as I started going through that little point I was making, I, I started remembering just quotes I've heard several different times, and you probably heard it too, of how they train uh, people to identify counterfeit money. And they do it by training them to identify the real thing first. And so if you're going to get trained to be a person that, you know, looks out for counterfeit money out there, they'll bring you a real dollar bill... And they'll walk you through all the things. And some of it has to do with feel. You know, some of it is watermarks you can only see. Um, Some of it is the way that counterfeiters, you know, might cut it. So it's got to look a certain way. And they take you through this thing. So I was reading this article on this guy in Canada that had kind of heard the same thing. So he went to the Canadian bank, uh, the headquarters or whatever. And he went in to interview this lady that that helps train counterfeiters. And so she went through that whole thing with him. This is how we do it. We talked to them about how it the touch and the feel of the money is and all those different things I just talked about. And then she brought him out a stack of bills and had him go through them and identify which ones were counterfeit. And so after only just, you know, a very small amount of time training him, he got 100% on the test. He was able to go through and correctly identify every counterfeit bill pretty quickly And so I think it's important for us, it's just a good illustration, that we don't have to be these biblical experts in order to figure out what a lie is. If we just spend a little bit of time in the truth and hang around a little bit of time with people that know the truth, we're going to be able to start picking up the counterfeit pretty quickly. And we need to know the word of God so that we know what's real and what's truth so that when a lie stands out, a counterfeit thing comes our way, we can identify it as an imposter that it is. And I think one of the major problems in Ephesians 6 of discussion that people have is that we often stop reading at verse 17, like I just did. Because I feel like Paul has something really critical to say in verse 18. So if you close your Bible, that's okay. I'll just read this one verse. But verse 18 says this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. It's extremely important for us to dress ourselves up in our spiritual identity every day to put the armor of God on. That's important. It's important for us to know God's word and use it as a weapon against the enemy's attacks. But we can't forget to be alert and pray. As Paul said, pray on all occasions. Keep on praying, right? But how do we pray? When we're engaged with an enemy that wants to destroy our lives, what should our prayers sound like? What kind of convictions should we have? What kind of tone should it take when we're engaged in in prayer, when we have this enemy who's out to get us? I think our prayers ought to include some things, to help kind of ensure victory for us. And I think it begins with an understanding of authority. Authority. Now, when I was a kid, I did not really struggle with authority figures much in my life. Um, If you grew up back in the day, as they say, I went to elementary school like in the late 70s, early 80s. And when you went to the principal's office back then... There was an honest-to-God paddle in that office. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And on more than one occasion, that paddle was taken down from the wall and used on me with force, right? Anybody else get whooped in elementary school? There you go. That's right. All the young people are like, oh, my gosh. Lawsuits. This is horrible. (coughs) How did those people turn out okay? Right? My... uh, My dad grew up going to Catholic school, and where the nuns were the teachers, and he said that like when you were caught talking and goofing around, that the nun would come back with the ruler and make you put your hands out, and they would beat your knuckles with like no mercy. I mean, so you could have a problem with authority if you wanted to, but you were going to pay a price for it, right? Right? Okay, so authority, I think, has lost a little bit of its sting um, and its importance and its weight in our world, but it was a real thing not that long ago. And authority was granted to mankind from the very beginning, beginning of human existence. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you see the start of the story, and God creates Adam and Eve, he puts them in the garden, and he tells them this, he says, rule, Rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all the living creatures uh, that move on the ground. So they were given this authority from the very start, but when they sinned, that authority was taken away. It was stolen by Satan. And that's why on several occasions in the book of John in particular, Jesus refers to Satan as the prince of this world. He had kind of taken the, the authority away from mankind and God had allowed that to happen. But here's the unbelievably good news. I want you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. It's page 1076. Colossians 2, we're going to start in verse 13. Paul says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them by the cross. I love that, man. It says that on the cross, Jesus disarmed Satan and his demons, conquering sin and death. Those things no longer have a hold on us. And so Jesus took that authority right back, all that was lost. And that's why Jesus, uh, after his death and resurrection, when he's kind of giving his last instructions to his disciples, he says this in Matthew 28, 18, he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me to Christ. And now here's where it gets even more amazing. Flip your Bibles over to Luke chapter 10. It's page 944. We've looked at this story before. Jesus is kind of training and equipping his young disciples. And there's, um, you know, if you didn't know this, it wasn't just the 12 disciples. There was a larger group, a pack of people that kind of followed Jesus around too. And Jesus sends out 72, and he sends them out two by two to go to all the villages, preaching in the kingdom of God and healing all kinds of sickness. And they come back, and in verse 17 of Luke 10, it says this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So what did Jesus do with his authority? What did he do with it? Let's not make this difficult. He gave it back to us. us. Thank you. He gave it back to us. What are the implications of that truth? We don't have to live in fear, right? So all this talk about the enemy and stuff, yes, we need to be aware of him, he is powerful, but we don't need to live in fear about that. What else? What are the other implications that we've been given this authority? Do what now? Okay, there's a certain amount of responsibility, right? It's kind of like when you've got the power to beat the bully up, but you let the bully keep beating everybody else up. And the teachers come to you and said, hey, you're big enough to take this guy out. The teacher probably wouldn't say that, but maybe, maybe your parent would, right? I remember when I was a teacher, though, there was times, I don't know what it was. It was always the little guys, and I can relate to that, who were kind of just the punks. And I remember this one year I had this kid that was just a punk. I mean, he just kind of bossed everybody around and bullied everyone. And there were some days when, honestly, I would take the big kids aside and be like, what is going on? Do you know how big you are? Just shut him up one day. I won't say anything, you know, don't mention my name, it'll be, but I'm just like, I really wanted this kid to just get popped one time, right? So there's a responsibility that comes with it. What else? What are the other implications? Yeah. There's confidence that we can have victory, right? What are the implications of it from Satan's point of view? What now? I'm sorry. He we have the power. Yeah. He has to be really uh, cunning, doesn't he? <laughs> he has to be subtle sometimes. He has to look for ways, knowing that if we call on the name of the Lord and we believe in the power that we have, we can defeat him. He has to really work hard. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah, I mean, you've got to be masters at manipulation because he's looking at us like, I mean, when he looks at us, he sees Christ. He knows what we're capable of, right? Yeah. It's interesting when we start understanding authority, isn't it? And here's the other thing, if you noticed in that deal, is because Jesus shared his authority with us, the demons must submit to us. They must submit to us. We have the authority, not them. That's crazy. Donald Miller, who that movie was about his life, he also wrote the storyline curriculum, which we've used a lot here. He sent this quote out on Instagram this week. He said, the most common way, actually she said, Alice, the most common way people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any There are many of you here this morning, because of your youth or because of your just inexperience, and maybe you're older, you just haven't been a Christian that long, you don't understand who you are. You don't understand the power that's been given to you, the authority that's been granted to you. You don't understand who it is living in your heart. And that's exactly the way the enemy wants to keep it. But when you know you have a responsibility... That could be a little scary. You see, because when we begin to understand, and guys, it's a lifelong pursuit of kind of understanding this on deeper and deeper levels. The implications of the power that is at our disposal because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, God's very presence in us, it is a game changer. A game changer. Because no longer are we victims. No longer are we powerless against temptation and sin. Authority has been granted to us from the king of kings. Right? So how does this knowledge of bestowed authority change the way that we pray? Well, as somebody mentioned, Phil, we we pray with confidence. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Why do we pray in the name of Jesus, in his name? Because as Paul tells us in Philippians 2... He says that God gave Jesus the name that is above all names, and that at his name, every knee would bow on earth and under the earth and in the heavens, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that's why we pray in the name of Christ, because praying in the name of Jesus is authoritative and final It's kind of like when the judge drops the gavel at the end of the trial and says, Here's the sentence and here's what's going to happen. It's authoritative. There's no disputing the judge at that point, it's final. Every time Satan hears a Christian invoking the name of Jesus in prayer, it's like he's being reminded all over again that he's defeated, that he doesn't have the power and authority that he thinks he has. There's power in his name, people. And personally, I think that when you're engaged in battle with the enemy, that it's important to pray out loud. To tell Satan you're a liar and here's the truth. This is what I know God says the truth is, and you say that out loud too. Because I think there's something powerful uh, that when saying that thing audibly, we remind ourselves that he does not have authority over my life. Sometimes we need to hear our voice say that out loud. I want you to turn your Bibles last time here, Acts chapter 3. So, this authority that Jesus had, he gives it to his disciples. And they kind of begin going around and starting this new church and telling people for the first time about the the death resurrection of Christ. So in chapter 3, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking around and praising God, they recognized him as the same man he used to sit, begging at the temple gate, called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Why did Peter and John say, in the name of Jesus? <laughs> because they knew that it wasn't because of them that this was going to happen, that it was only because of Christ living in them and the authority that he had given them that they were able to do something this miraculous. And so it was a reminder of themselves too, as was a reminder to the crowd around them of who has the power. And guys, we have some learning to do because God is trying to prepare each one of us for this future role that we're going to play in his kingdom. Look at what Revelation chapter 5 says. This is God talking about the angels, it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, talking about Christ. With your blood you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Do you understand that in God's kingdom, for eternity, you are going to be reigning on this earth. And just like uh, a king and queen would take their little prince and princess, their kids and that they know they're training up to be the future king and queen, they have to teach them and train them the, the authority that they have and how to, to wield that authority well and how to use it for good, hopefully, Right? Because they know one day we're gonna die and you're gonna be the next king and queen and we want you to serve the people well and understand your authority. And God is preparing us for this future time where we're gonna reign with him on the earth. And he's saying, I want you to understand the authority that you have and I want you to practice using it now so that you'll be better at it one day. It's crazy stuff, isn't it? you're not going to be on a cloud playing a harp. You're going to be raining, right? Now, just to make sure that I've covered all of my bases, I want to address a potential thought that might be out there. And that thought is this. I'm not sure that I really believe all of this angels and demons stuff. I don't really see a lot of Evidence of kind of spiritual warfare in the world or in my life. I'm just not sure that I buy it. And to that I would say, Jesus talked like spiritual warfare was a very real reality. I know that was kind of poor use of English, but he talked like it was real. So either he was a liar, or some of us, honestly, We're just not engaged in the battle, and we're not pushing back darkness in our own hearts or in the hearts of others or in the world around us. And whenever Satan looks around and he sees a person who's kind of just being indifferent and kind of ineffective in their life, he's just going to kind of leave you alone because he doesn't really see you as much of a threat. It's the people who are actively involved in pushing back darkness and advancing the kingdom that he's going to ramp things up because he sees those people as a threat. So if you're not experiencing that in your life, you probably need to get out of the trench where you're going to end up dying of something that's kind of a lame reason to die as opposed to being engaged in the battle for people's hearts and minds, something noble. And as we wrap this series up, let's conclude with some very practical advice, okay? If the battle is real, if we understand that, then we have to live and act as soldiers. And we've talked about how we can't do that alone, that we need to find a a, a platoon that we can do life with, other people that are fighting for our hearts, other people that we're willing to fight for theirs, other people who understand what's at stake, We need to seek those people out. We have to understand the tactics of the enemy and how we combat those assaults. We have to be diligent in guarding our hearts as the treasure that God says they are. And so every day we've got to wake up and we've got to say, God, protect me. I'm in a battle here. Give me spiritual eyes to see the darkness around me. Give me spiritual eyes to see the darkness in my own way of thinking, my own way of living that I can't see for myself that I'm blind to. (laughs) We study God's word like our very life depended on it. Yearning for the truth so that we'll know the truth so that when a lie comes along, we can call it what it is. And when we hear a lie rattling around in our mind or coming from the mouth of another person towards us, we can just say, hold up, (laughs) That's not true, that's a lie. I know God's word says this, and I'm gonna believe that. We quote scripture, we pray in the name of Jesus and the authority he has given us to silence the enemy. And we do that for ourselves, and we do that for our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we hear things coming out of their mouth, perspectives they have about themselves, about their circumstances, about other people, about God that are not true, we insert ourselves into that discussion and we say, no, uh-uh, that is a lie. And earlier when I gave that illustration about understanding the difference between counterfeit and truth, as we were singing earlier today, I was thinking, you know, <clears throat> on one hand, truth is truth because that's what God says, because God says it's truth, okay? And he's the boss, right? But it's also true. I don't know if you guys have ever been in conversations like this where you're sharing the gospel with somebody else and it's ringing so true in your heart. And you're seeing the life and the lights that are going on in somebody else as you're kind of like clearing up some misunderstandings that they have about who they are and who God is and what God wants to do in their life. And it resonates. It's kind of like when that sound goes out and it hits something and it comes back to you. You know what I mean? As you're sharing what's true, it resonates, your spirit says yes. That's why it's true, right? And we do all of this to partner with God in saving many lives because eternity's at stake. And guys, I just want to acknowledge something. Are we Okay. Okay. I just want to acknowledge something, y'all, is that this is gonna be awkward, beginning to live in this new way, okay? I realize that. Some of us have never lived in this way where we talk about things in this spiritual reality, we talk about angels and demons and attack and start using this different language and praying in different ways. So I understand that that's gonna be weird. But we also talked about during this series that we are new creations in Christ, right? That we are born again. And that God is transforming our hearts and minds. And so we have to begin living in a new way and trusting that God is gonna meet us there when we begin living for him. So I wanna wrap this up this morning as we come to the conclusion of this series, okay? Um, by just hearing back from you all. And we've been talking about this stuff for 10 weeks. And so I just wanna hear from you guys what, what has stood out to you? What has stuck from this time, because the reality is, is that we can only um, take away a couple of things from a, something like this, a topic this big, that really is going to last with us. And so what is it that God has spoken to you that you've like hung on to, and you're like, man, I need to remember that as I move forward. So, um, And I'm going to do this scary thing and actually pass the microphone around so people can actually hear, so I know this is going to be risky, all right, but... Um, I think it's good for us to hear kind of how God has spoken to us during that time. So would anybody like to start this morning just by sharing what what, you're going to walk away with from this time, how you're going to live differently because of what we've learned? I will give you $1,000, the first person that talks. It'll be in spiritual dollars to be cashed in heaven. All right, Renee. Thank you.
1: I could use... A thousand dollars, right? Now, so. <laughs> um, okay, this is hard for me. Um, it's kind of funny God's timing because you said ten weeks ago, and I've been thinking over the spring and everything. And Phil, I haven't asked permission to share this, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, this spring, Phil and I were having an argument. And if you've been married, you do this—you like have certain arguments that pop up over and over and we kind of looked at each other and we're like, man, we need help. Like we're like we're not doing great. Like our marriage is not doing great. Like is this really what we want for a marriage for the next 40 some years? And um so we took a bold step and decided to go to marriage counseling and um that's like when the sermon series started too. And I think that's God's like mysterious timing putting that all together. And I feel like what's really stood out to us in our marriage counseling and in this sermon series is definitely the spiritual warfare part. And um, like Satan, he does not want us to have a healthy marriage. Like, he doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for our kids. He doesn't want that for our ministry. And I've been learning that, like, through counseling. And this, like, Satan's on the attack. And the problem was... When Phil and I were having arguments, I was looking at Phil like he was the enemy, and that was Satan's lie to me, and I didn't realize that was happening. I was like, man, Phil's out to get me. He's the enemy. That was Satan, like, whispering in my ear, and um, just realizing I need to look at Phil like we're in the battle together. He's not against me, but we're in the battle together, and we are in a battle against Satan, and so we need to be going forward in that sense, so... That's really what's been hitting me. Mm,
0: thank you. That's great. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes, sir. I see that hand.
2: <laughs> I was um, kind of blessed with an eye-opening, life-changing experience here in the last few months that uh, we had a blended family, Wendy and I, and she had children and was a widow, and... Uh, we kind of raced into the relationship and we had a child a 14 year old who's downstairs right now and started having all kinds of problems in school that he never had and i'd say what's wrong with gage what's wrong with gage what would talk with bob about it what's wrong with gage and then one day i actually just started listening and i was looking in the mirror i'm like okay i think i see what's wrong with gage my parenting style, choices I'd made. We'd rushed into the relationship that he wasn't ready to see mom back into another relationship as if it had almost been adulterous to his dead father. And so I actually just sat down and started listening to this kid and it took some tough love and Wendy kept saying, you gotta do both sides of this. Okay, you can't just be tough. He has to know you really love him too. And a while ago we were upstairs playing footsie during the music, you know, I'm tapping his toes and he's tapping my toes and we've made this connection but it was because I had to listen to him and let him tell me what I was doing wrong, that I was not the father he needed, I wasn't even the kind of husband that Wendy needed, and that I had pushed things because I was selfish. I wanted it, I didn't see that what I was doing was wrong, I thought I was actually doing good things, and so I actually said to Gage one day, you know what the road to hell is paved with, don't you? Good intentions. So I've actually learned to be less selfish, just put my needs back and say, okay, i got to get this kid turned around, and by turning him around, I'm turning me around. So it took a lot of um, letting go of my own desires to put somebody else's first and realize, now you've got a happy family. Look what's happened here. So it was beautiful.
0: Thank you. That's great. Mm. Anybody else? Are Any?
3: One thing that I've learned from this series is um, I'm not a slow learner, but I am a fast forgetter. And um, (laughs) coming in here and listening to what Bob had to share, pointed out a lot of um, the character defects inside of me and helped me to look at what I wasn't doing and how I was being captivated by um, Satan and his power and not using the authority of God to pray against it. The reality is, in order to carry this message, I have to live this message. In order to save a life, I have to be able to pray and ask for that help because I can't do this alone. And a lot of times when I take on this battle by myself, I am alone, and with that I lose. But by praying for everything that I do and coming forward and knowing that prayer is what saved my life to begin with, I've been able to see that it takes the battle out of it and it puts it in God's hands, and I'm able to live with the outcome of whatever happens and have the acceptance of it, that it's God's will, not mine. Mm -hmm. And that's what it helped me to do is to more pray for everything that I do and accept everything that happens with the outcome. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Yes, sir. Pass that down. Is it okay if you stand so people can see? Thanks. Sure.
1: My name
4: is Ryan Marshall. Um, I went to uh, basic combat training in January. I've been gone for five months. I started to experience what it means to train to be a soldier. disgusting things that I might have to fight one day if I get deployed. Then you read Ephesians 6 when it says that our struggles are not our flesh and blood but against evil in this world. Now we have the authority to fight that. That is a huge responsibility but One that I am very proud that I am able to fight. I think I was ignorant at first. Not knowing how much Satan wants to destroy everything good in this world. But now I know. So, I'm not going to underestimate the enemy. And I'm going to feel much more confident in the authority that I have to Cling to everything that is good and hate what is evil. Yeah. And destroy it.
0: Thank you. That's good. Gives you a totally different perspective, doesn't it? Pass that back to Jake there. Sorry. Yeah.
5: Uh, This is kind of along the same lines of uh, Renee's testimony. And my wife and I were just uh, just talking. And we had these little conversations, little arguments. And we were like, man, we need to go through like a study or something, you know, to try to... uh, to sum this up, it's going to be about communication, like, and figuring out communication. So we, we go to the Christian bookstore, like all good couples do, and, uh, <laughs> and we start looking, and I have that typical attitude of, like, oh, my gosh, just pick one. Like, let's go. Like, you know, and so, and, like, and I don't any even. Any book will do. Any book will do. Let's just do this, and, you know. And, and so she, like, grabs one, I look at it, and I was like, yeah, it's great. And then I didn't even read it. Like, I didn't even look at it until we got home and we started reading this thing. And it was two weeks after, you know, they started doing this spiritual warfare. And literally the first, like, the first chapters are about, like, adultery and, like, all this stuff. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, what are you, like, what are we reading? Like, this is, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden the next book, like, the next page, like, flips into spiritual warfare. Um, And, I mean, it's just diving into, like, very specifics. And mine were basically coming down to, like, the spirit of confusion, the spirit of anger and aggression. To where, like Renee said... I was looking at Casey like she was attacking me. And it was little things like, hey, did you take the trash out today? But all I hear is like, geez, you don't do anything. Take <laughs> out this stinking trash. Like, Do something, you know. And so and that was how I was being. Like, That was how I was hearing things. And, uh, and we started praying like immediately. This book was very confident in its, in its ability to direct you to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and to destroy that. Um, praying for specifics of the spirit of confusion to leave and be defeated. And immediately, I mean, like I'm speaking for myself, but I, you might testify that, but immediately we felt a change, like in our conversation and communication. Um, so, communication is 100% important. I mean, communicating with God or communicating with others, you know, started having some talks with my dudes over there and like, you know, just being able to open up and have real conversations and, and you got healing immediately from that. And so, Definitely, by far, communication has been, and praying for those specific enemies, has been a huge impact.
0: That's cool. If you can just click that off. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for sharing a lot of vulnerable things. I think some things that stood out to me from the things you guys are sharing that I just want to reiterate or just the several times people saying that, you know, the people here, right, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Your spouse, your friend, your sibling is not your enemy. <laughs> there is an enemy that wants to make you think that's the truth. To take your attention off of him, the real problem, and to put it onto one another. Okay, so we're going to be wiser than that, and we're going to we're going to know him for who he is—the father of lies. And I think another thing that I was just thinking is Ryan was sharing just his perspective of having just gone through basic training, you know, and and rightly so. In our country, we put a lot of, um, you know, emphasis and attention on our military because they do lay down their physical life so that we can have freedom. But guys, we are no less responsible than they are. Every one of us in here is a soldier in God's army. And just like they can't go out to the battlefield and just kind of abdicate and just lay down, we can't either. And there are heroes in here that never put on a uniform per se, that are fighting the enemy in all different kinds of ways all the time. On a spiritual level, in eternal battles for people's souls. And that's key. And so, every one of us here has been drafted and enlisted. If you said yes to God, you're in. So, get used to it. That's life in His, in his kingdom. We're being prepared to, to reign, as we talked about. Whew, I'm done. This has been exhausting. Great job sharing. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable. I really appreciate that about our community. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for taking us through this series and for showing us so much. And I don't know, for me, even one of the coolest things was just seeing um, how from the very beginning, um, the, the children of Adam, the grandson of Adam, they begin turning their hearts towards you and calling out to your name. It didn't take us long as humans to realize we couldn't do life on our own, that we had a very real enemy that feel, filled you know, Cain and Abel with uh, dissension and hatred and unforgiveness towards one another that led in murder, like generation two. It was rough. And so, God, we need you. The battle is real. The, the pressures and the things that we feel in this world are real It help us to put it in the right place. Help us to just cherish your word as this truth that we need to know so that we can see a lie, so we can call it what it is. Help us to love one another enough to not let one another continue to live a lie, continue to believe things that aren't true. Help us to call it out and be confident enough to say, you know what, man, I've been reading the Bible, and that, doesn't, that perspective doesn't seem right. The way that you're acting towards that person or that unforgiveness you're harboring, that's not Jesus. That's a lie, and Satan is keeping you captive and bound up by that, that counterfeit way of living. Lord, we love you. Pray that we would embrace this role that you've given us, that we would learn to, to wield our authority well um, so that many lives will be saved, God. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we close.